Welcome to this podcast. We are talking today about prison sexual health services, how to commission and run them. My name is Dr. Eamon O'Moore. I'm a consultant in public health with Offender Health, and I also work as a specialty doctor in sexual health. And joining me today is my colleague, Dr. Alan Tang, author of the paper. Hi, Alan. Hi, Eamon. So, uh, for listeners, I'm Alan Tang. I work as a son of physician in gentle urinary stroke HIV medicine in Reading, and I do a prison clinic myself in a local young offenders institution. And for BASH, I lead a subgroup of the Clinical Governance Committee, which is considering improving standards for providing um, sexual services in prisons. And Alan, I know because uh, we also have worked together, the depth and breadth of the work you've done in prison uh, sexual health services. So I really welcome this paper as a way for you to share what you've learned in delivering a service and working with commissioners and service providers. And also welcome the work that you've done um, in your role with BASH with us in Offender Health over the past number of years. But um, I thought uh, the jumping off point for this discussion might be the very important issue which you put right at the front of the paper, which is the public health angle to why uh, people should be interested in running a good sexual health service in prisons, because this is very much where we in Offender Health take um, our starting point from. We certainly recognize, and you've quoted lots of evidence from the literature here, the value of dealing with uh, sexual health problems among people who go through the prison system because we tend to see among this population people in risk groups um, who don't access health care as readily in other settings and have a high prevalence of infection. So our argument is that if we provide a good service, a good sexual health service for people in prison, we'll have a wider-than-prison benefit, a wider-than-prison public health benefit. And I just wondered if you had other thoughts about that as well. Certainly. Um, I'm only an amateur public health physician, obviously, having had no training. But obviously, can I escape our clinical practice as you physicians to notice the benefits to the public at large. And prisoners are interesting because uh, we know from a lot of evidence that they do have high rates of STIs. And I've reviewed various papers from other authors which seem to show that as well. And I know that in the USA, they monitor things very closely, as mentioned in the article. I have a collaborator in the US uh, public health uh, department uh, in New York who um, looks out of prisons, and we co-authored a, a chapter uh, on prisons in a textbook recently. And she also says you know, there's a strong association. So I think the evidence is in, un, incontrovertible about the association. But also interesting is that we know that, um, certainly in Reading where I work, that there's a high rate of alcohol abuse uh, in prisoners when they're on the outside. And we know from recently in, in a Department of Health uh, report that there's a strong association between alcohol abuse and unsafe sexual behavior. Uh, and Aben will, you know, has, has, I'm sure has taught me this before, that there's a strong association between uh, deprivation uh, and, and, and poor sexual health. And if you look at um, postcodes from deprived areas, uh, we find the high STIs as well. So we, you know, we can, we, we've got evidence for lots of different things that are going on in the public health angle um, for, for prisoners. And I think um, 
the leading on from the provision of good sexual services in prisons is linking them to the services of the community, which I think we're very bad at doing. Uh, in the chapter that I wrote with, with um, the doctor from New York, she wrote a lot about discharge planning that they try and do in New York, and I think we should try and emulate that. Yes, and it's certainly uh, a very important part of the overall care package delivered in prisons because we should bear in mind, Alan, that most people who are members of the prison population spend the vast bulk of their lives in the community, not in prison. The vast majority of people who are sentenced prisoners have sentences of less than six months. So as a population, um, while people do often refer to them as a captive population, and I can understand why, in fact, how I see it is as a highly dynamic population which passes through a prison uh, setting and this gives us a very important public health opportunity to intervene and to start a program of active case finding, treatment, and so on. But of course, you're right that if we just do this work while people are in prison, or if we start a, a treatment program for more um, long-term infections such as HIV or hepatitis C, um, that good start may well be undone if we don't have a good follow-up in uh, the community. And I think nobody should be in any doubt as to the scale of the problem because uh, the UK prison population is uh, one of the largest in Europe and certainly in terms of the uh, rate of incarcerated uh, per 100,000 population, we probably rank second only to the United States in, um, in that uh, league table. And at any one time, there are about 85,000 people in prisons in England and Wales. There's about 140 prisons. And you've mentioned um, one of the prisons that you work in, HMP Reading, which is a young offenders institution. And as you say, I, there's a particular need to think about the needs of young people in the prison estate because of the uh, coalition of risk factors that include deprivation, alcohol dependence, drug dependence, and various other factors that uh, contribute to being in risk groups for STIs as well as other um, illnesses. So it seems to me a very good uh, place to really be an effective public health practitioner as well as being a sexual health practitioner. So I see this as one of the areas where people in public health and sexual health can really work together effectively to address an important public health need from this excluded and vulnerable population. I think, I think that those are really, really good points. And you've just reminded me, Eamon, that really um, we're dealing with a population at, at higher risk of STIs and with, with great sexual health needs. You know, and the, the spell in prison is really just, just a part of their lives. And, and really, we shouldn't think of prisoners as prisoners per se, but as people, as, as we do for, for all people we treat. They're people in a population who's, who happen to spend a spell of time in prison. And what's special for me as, as, a, as a physician uh, is that that's a time I can intervene. I, I can use the time in prison productively to screen prisoners, treat the symptomatics, um, and contact the partner so the partners can also get seen. And that's where we need better links with the, the, the local clinics, even when the prisoners are in, even when the people are in prison, and then when they're discharged, to have somehow to follow that up. And I think the UK is a fertile ground for working in this area, which is why I think BASH are so active, because as Eamon says, we have a very high incarceration rate. 
And I mean, for my sins, I, I have all the data because I, I work with my collaborator in the USA. We dug through literature, and Amy is right. I mean, the, the top three countries for incarceration rates are USA, Russia, and Cuba. Uh, Russia, um, the USA has a 762 per 100,000 um, incarceration rate. England and Wales is 153 people per 100,000, which is the highest in Western Europe. So in Western Europe, we, we have the highest incarceration rate. And as you said, from the work uh, BASH have done on this very important public health issue, um, there is a great degree of variability in the way in which services are provided in prisons. And your survey, which I understand um, you're repeating, have identified uh, particular concerns about the way in which services are provided. Um, and I think it's worth uh, spending a moment or two just talking about that as well, because your work and the work that BASH has um, led on this uh, certainly caused us in Offender Health great concern, because we've recognized as a policy issue the importance of sexual health of people in prisons and are being dissatisfied with the way in which the service variability that we see has continued. And that was one of the drivers behind us developing a range of over 30 health indicators that we call prison health performance and quality indicators, or PHPQIs, that we deliberately um, used in a way to almost provoke commissioners and service providers into assessing whether their health services would uh, attain the level uh, that they would need to to qualify for green in the usual RAG rating we have for these things. And I, I think we have seen some progress in this area, but undoubtedly there is a need for further work. But I can share with you that um, the latest data we have from the PHPQI data set, which has been collected for us um, by NHS Southwest, show that among um, all prisons in England and Wales, about 85% uh, of prisons achieve either green or amber status for provision of sexual health services. Um, about 60% of those are green, um, so the, the remainder about uh, amber. But there's still uh, a degree of, um, of need to not rest on our laurels about this because, of course, these indicators define what many would say, and I would agree with them, are a fairly basic level of care that one should expect from uh, sexual health services. So there's quite a lot of work to be done in bringing services up to a level that would be equivalent to uh, a high-quality sexual health service in the community. And as somebody who works in prisons, Alan, and has got great experience in the challenging environment uh, of prisons, I'm very interested in, in your thoughts about what constitutes a high-quality sexual health service in prisons. Yes, yeah, certainly, that, that is, those are very important points you've raised. And certainly, you know, I do have some, some thoughts of what a high-quality service is. Um, but going back just a half a step, the, the PHPQIs, I think, are very important because in trying to provide high-quality service in prisons, there's always a tension between fulfilling security requirements and a healthcare prisoner. And I think having some sort of commissioning tool to um, encourage the, the prison security establishment 
to provide to to cooperate with healthcare services is good. And I, I have noticed uh, subjectively in in, in Reading that um, the service has been running smoother since NHS uh, took over the running, and then furthermore, when we had actual KPIs to to monitor. So I know it's objective, and it, you know, it'd be nice to do a a, a before and after survey of this uh, for for a wider population. But certainly, I, I think that's the, the what I felt, and that I think that I think that the the quality element has got to be first and foremost access, uh, having giving good access to prisoners, and uh, we. we we, we we can never sort of get the 40 hour access that we, we we try to aspire to in on the outside but i think really um to to provide a, a reasonable service it needs to be reasonably frequent service i'm, I'm thinking sort of at least weekly or, or minimum two weekly and um to to be run by uh, an experienced person you know who who actually works in in a in a gum clinic so that there can be expertise and knowledge and 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 also the ability to influence sexual behavior when the prisoners go outside and then the the range of diagnostic tests have got to be complete and you know you and I have been battling with uh, the quality of gonorrhea assessments for some time in a different arena and certainly in prisons it is a case in point particularly for prisons which which are far away from um from pathology labs there's a big issue and and I think the other issue is um, having some some aftercare because we're going to provide a few hours of, of service per week or per fortnight, and really there needs to be some sort of lead, a lead nurse would be ideal, who would then do some aftercare of giving results, treatment, answering any queries, and also I think prepare for the next clinic, because it's not just a, a, a get in and do the job business, but I think it's got to be something which is which is in the healthcare scheme uh, that's provided to prisoners. I think those are probably three main things: excess. I think the investigations and also the aftercare, which could include sort of assistance of punishment as well. Yes. And do you think, Alan, that um, while there is clearly a, a very important role for um, GUM consultants, that uh, the wider healthcare team could contribute to driving up the quality of sexual health services provided in prisons? And thinking here about GPs who work in prisons. Um, highly qualified nurses, uh, band five, six, and so on, who could uh, potentially be important in both active case finding and or um, identifying risk factors that prisoners may not themselves recognize. Have you any thoughts about how we could extend the sort of um, the, the group of professionals who are uh, all working towards improving sexual health in prisons? Most certainly, and I would like to just quote um, another survey that you you headed up, uh, which followed the national survey that I did of of uh, around 40, 40 prisons. But in in the health food section agency survey, the, the the coverage was majority of prisons, and we know that some level of uh, provision of sexual services is available in most prisons, which is which is very heartening. And some of these services are provided by by the GPs uh, who work in in the prisons, and also some by by prison nurses. So I, I do strongly believe in in uh, non-specialists having a role to play. Uh, absolutely no no issues about that. And I think it's a very good thing, and it's very good that you've shown that that, that actually does happen. 
in terms of uh, enabling that group to 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 perform the function well, uh, I've had the privilege of speaking to the prison nurses conference in rugby in the prison training college, and it was very well attended. And I, I was met with a lot of enthusiasm from from prison nurses uh, to to be involved in sexual health. Uh, some of them are already involved and run some sort of peer educator scheme, peer support scheme, which involves prisoners themselves uh, providing knowledge and support uh, alongside suicide prevention and the other things. So I think I think it, it, there is a very positive role to play because what what, what I think um, I need to vocalise is that we don't want to be a due service that just goes in screens, treats the conditions, get out again. We want some long-term health gain. I think we won't get that just by going on a shop shop visit. We need cooperation and continuity so that we can embed the messages um, for, for a, a, a typical person living in prison. They, they have a lot of stress and, and other priorities. And in order, in order to emphasize several important things, we, we need some tenacity. And I would certainly echo your um, whole prison approach, which is the model of public health practice in prison, where we try to put uh, the prisoner at the centre of um, any care pathway we're designing um, and try to make sure that all points of contact with healthcare systems are an opportunity to allow needs to be identified and met and to encourage a sort of rising tide lifting all boats approach because as we all know uh, sexual health services have a stigma attached to them in the community and um, that's a real issue in prisons and people have real concerns about how their privacy is going to be protected, how they will be managed in terms of confidentiality. So I think we need to make sure that prisoners understand that the services are there to provide them with a high level of care, that um, they can get some advice, information and uh, even treatment from other members of the healthcare team in the prison, not just the GUM consultant, but that there is that level of expertise in the prison, which I think can be linked with wider training. And I'm particularly interested in making sure that prison sexual health services are included in wider training and education opportunities uh, delivered by the community, for example, where you've got specialist sexual health services serving particular prison clusters, they may be able to have an education program uh, which would allow um, the excellent work that you've obviously um, been involved in at the National uh, Prison Training College to be extended in a sort of clinical network fashion right across the country. Because I think unless we have that uh, constant drive to improve education and training, uh, we're, we're going to never fully capitalize on the opportunity here. I think I think that is that is really really relevant here, and I, I think certainly um, the stigma is an issue, and handling patients' confidentiality is an important uh, quality measure, uh, which which we should flag up strongly. In addition to the other things that I thought you know were important, like like access, I think is to provide dignity and confidentiality to prisoners would encourage them to come out and, and be screened. And I, I'm, I'm encouraged by the strapline of the Prison Reform Trust, which, uh, quote, the state of our prisons is a fair measure of the state of our society. The Prison Reform Trust works to ensure they're just, humane, and effective. And I think, you know, the, the stigma of prisons should be no worse than what we experience on the outside. I think 
it would be awful if prisoners were stigmatized because they use a, a service. And probably, you know, the make, normalizing in a prison routine would be one way of, of, of uh, reducing the uh, joking and, and other things, that pris- or worse things that prisoners might, might experience. And my, my own um, limited experience in, in Reading uh, Prison is, is that the um, service is promoted at the uh, secondary health questionnaire. So all prisoners uh, get to know that this service, and um, they also encourage to use it uh, for screening purposes, um, even if, if they have no, no symptoms. And it's normalized in the sense that I think the staff talk about it non-judgmentally. It, it's just that it's, it's a service you can use. And it, it, I think that's why it's very popular. And I noticed that in the Prison Reform Trust um, information leaflet, they have one especially for uh, prisoners' health. And the one which is titled Prisoners' Information Book, Male Prisoners and Young Offenders, there is a page on SDIs. And they they give some examples um, of SDIs as chlamydia and herpes. And they, they encourage prisoners to see healthcare staff if they have symptoms. Uh, they also say that their clinics uh, in, in the prisons which can, um, quote, you can go to with any health problems to do with sex. So they, they make it quite open in the handbook of prisoners that this is normal, which I think is, is a helpful thing, and that removes stigma, I think. And and I think that work needs to be supported and encouraged, and I think we all have a role in that as peer educators, as health service providers, as commissioners, as public health physicians. Um, and we certainly, in offender health, run a very uh, successful series of campaigns around educating people around bloodborne viruses and we've developed a range of resources including dvds and other imaginative uh, ways to communicate um, we designed for example special playing cards that have in very simple formats icons that explain how bloodborne viruses are transmitted and how you can protect yourself against them so there's work here needed in addressing um, in a health promotion way the education needs of prisoners and of staff because of course you're quite right sometimes one of the greatest barriers towards a prisoner getting access to good services are the attitude of of those staff especially discipline and wing staff who are not necessarily trained in in healthcare. So we're recognizing increasingly the importance of working with organizations like the Prison Officers Association uh, to make sure that their members understand the importance of uh, sexual health issues in the prison population and the need to ensure that if prisoners are concerned about symptoms or signs of infection, that they are referred in a timely way and an appropriate way and in a sensitive way so their needs are met. I think that's absolutely right. I, I, you know, I, I, I really appreciate the work of offender health in this area by making it more, much more joined up. I think that's so important, and to to put it in a context of a of a sort of uh, a whole program rather than just one intervention uh, is is very valuable. And I think the the emphasis of of offender health in 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 uh, reducing reoffending and health inequalities. Is, is is all part and parcel of what we're providing because I think if prisoners feel that all aspects of the health are, are being provided for, 
they'll feel more valued in society. So I believe that you know screening for STIs and looking after them and their partners and treating any any um, symptomatic illness is 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 part of providing that that sort of service and care that will help prisoners to to re- rehabilitate well. And I think you know having having a a, a, a coherent offender health strategy is terribly important uh, to to underpin. Well, not underpinned, but I think to sort of uh, include the the sexual health uh, uh, interventions we're trying to do. Well, thank you, and I, I think we've certainly been working um, with all our partners, including colleagues from Bash, uh, Beva, and the National AIDS Trust, and so on, to try to make um, any policies that we develop and deliver uh, reflect um, the knowledge and expertise of our colleagues, as well as the peculiar and particular uh, constraints of the prison environment. And one of those, Alan, I think is worth just uh, talking a little bit more about perhaps, and that's around the issue of um, both the surveillance of um, sexually transmitted infections in prisons and then how you work around issues such as partner notification in the constraints of a prison environment. Um, On the first of those disease surveillance. Um, It's a question that I get continually raised by parliamentary questions from MPs and uh, Lords around uh, the burden of disease among prisoners. And up until uh, very recently, we've been quite challenged about that because data such as it is uh, was often aggregated among returns from community-based clinics wasn't um, easily available for scrutiny and therefore uh, always posed a challenge to us about understanding the prevalence and incidence of disease. And we made some strides towards improving um, disease surveillance in the community. And I'm pleased to say that um, we're now in a position following very important work with the Health Protection Agency, uh, with BASH and others, um, to have a unique code now for uh, people diagnosed with an STI uh, while resident in prison. And I wondered if you also shared my optimism that this will allow us to get a far better understanding of the true burden of disease and the epidemiological data we get from people in prison in this area should uh, greatly improve over the next uh, little while. Absolutely. I I think that's really important, Um, having having the, the Z code. Uh, I, I recall you and I gave a talk um, quite a few years ago now, probably six or seven years ago, um, calling for better surveillance and data. And we've, we've been discussing this uh, at length uh, over, over the, the subsequent years. And we now have a tool where all clinics can um, identify the cases that were uh, treated in, in, in uh, correctional institutions. And therefore, I think we, we have an automatic way of um, of recognizing the burden, but far more important than that, rather than having individual um, services analyze their own data, we, we now have the um, great expertise of the health protection agency behind us, which I think is the single most valuable thing behind us uh, working on the whole SDI epidemic we're facing, and now having having the might of the HPA um, analyze the data from prisons. I think it's a big, big step ahead, and I really look forward in the next um, two or three years when we start to get annual reports on 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 this to to see um, the scale of the problem, really. 
Yes, and I also am looking forward um, to getting a far better degree of um, epidemiological data to guide the uh, service commissioning and provision and the health promotion strategies we've been talking about because we have been doing quite a lot of this work working on data from local clinics, from experts such as yourself who've been working in prisons and from our best guess based on prevalence of disease in similar populations in the community. But really, as any epidemiologist would tell you, you know, what you want is good data to understand both the burden of uh, disease in the affected population and the effectiveness of any interventions that you might design to tackle that problem. So getting good information feels to me such an important step forward. And it feels the start of something new now that this year and, and the years following um, now we'll have really uh, a solid foundation of knowledge on which to understand the effectiveness of the interventions and services we've designed to tackle the problem of sexual health in prisons. I think that's absolutely right and, and I think also for local commissioners um, and local um, sexual services, we will see better where to target our efforts once we see the, the, the granularity of where the infections are. And that's very important, as we mentioned earlier, among particular subgroups of the prison population, such as young people and, and female prisoners, because we know from the limited data we have that when we look for infections such as chlamydia, we certainly find them in the prison population, and we particularly find them in, in younger um, prisoners and in female prisoners. So getting really good data on uh, the full range of STIs and their distribution uh, among the population would be so important. Um, and just in reference to partner notification, Alan, you, you made in your paper, um, when you summarized the sort of... Uh, uh, the checklist of um, how to manage STIs among prison populations, particular reference to partner notification. And as a public health um, practitioner, I'm also, of course, very interested in not just treating the patient in front of you, but treating their contacts who might also be vulnerable or infected. So um, we have to recognize that partner notification in prison is not the same as partner notification in the community but there are some commonalities in the approach. And I just wondered if you would uh, share your insights and expertise with us on this particular problem. Certainly. This is a thorny issue because it involves uh, communication from within the prison and outside, which, which may be restricted for a variety of, of uh, security and other reasons. So we need to navigate through that. And that's why we need allies from the prison nurses and, and the prison uh, medic officers. But essentially, I think um, to apply our, our, our sort of uh, experience and outside to this, um, the, the, the best way is certainly to, to, to have the uh, index case inform their partners, but with, with support because what prisoners um, will find is that they're, they're more vulnerable in terms of, of controlling uh, the reactions of the partners when SCI is notified. So I think some sort of support would be, would be good uh, when they're doing it. And I think it needs to be quite explicit, as in letting the prisoner know what to say, as some form of words, because um, if it's inaccurate, it could lead to 
their contacts, getting the wrong advice, the wrong treatment. I think the second thing we could apply, um, which has been increasingly used, is provider referral, where, in fact, the sexual service takes on responsibility for some uh, index cases to notify the partners, which means taking their names and phone numbers. It is uh, a slightly daunting undertaking, but with increased experience in the community, uh, we could apply the same knowledge, experience, and, and caveats to the prison population. But it needs work. It is not something which is widely practiced. And I think even on, in a community, there are some clinics who are uncomfortable with providing referral. But I do believe that for, for in some cases, it, it is uh, a good thing. Because if the prisoner is, is in jail for a long time, it could be a long time before the partner is actually seen. And it could be a, that, could, that could actually drive the STI forward as the epidemic forward and outside. And indeed, even if um, the index case goes back to the community in a short period of time, if their partners aren't uh, advised or the prisoner isn't advised of the need to have their partner screened and, and possibly treated, um, we end up with the risk of reinfection and onward um, transmission, as well as increased rates of complications of infection. So it's all to play for, and we, we really need to tackle this problem as a, a, a common problem for both sexual health and public health practitioners, I think. And while we recognize the constraints and difficulties of the prison environment, as you've outlined in both your paper and what you've just said, there are ways to get around this. We just need to apply the knowledge and expertise that we have together to make this work. And I'm really committed to that idea of making sure that prison is in the sort of black box where no information comes out of and where no contact tracing can happen. Because the people that are contacts of these cases are often themselves quite vulnerable people often share some of the characteristics of their partners in, in the prison estate by virtue of poor access to health services, uh, poor access to education resources, and so on. So we need to own some responsibility at a societal level as much as anything else in making sure that these people aren't further disadvantaged by not having access to effective contact tracing in the same way they would have if their partners were attending a community-based sexual health service. I can't agree with that more. I think that that's an excellent way of putting it. And uh, I think the more progress we make here, the more health gains there will be that we'll see as we start to collect the data and provide surveillance. And I really do believe that the public health angle makes the whole area of providing sexual health services in prisons worthwhile. Because let's not forget, it, it is a difficult environment to work in. And those of us who work in prisons, uh, we, we do feel the downsides of working in prisons, you know, because of the environment and so on. But it's very rewarding when we, we, we get the bigger picture uh, from public health. And furthermore, I think it'll be even more rewarding when we start to get surveillance and reports coming out in the future. And finally, Alan, just in terms of your checklist, and we've touched on it before, the issue around discharge planning. I think this is, again, incredibly important. Um, because, as we've already said, while some STIs can be treated relatively easily and quickly, others do require ongoing treatment or follow-up for test of cures or advice about risk of recurrence and so on and how to manage that. So there's clearly 
um, a need to make sure that people diagnosed in prison are followed up effectively in the community. Um, from the prison um, health or offender health perspective, uh, again, we're very much about trying to put the prisoner at the center of this care pathway by empowering them with information and advice so that as we do in the community, we use means of education and information sharing with prisoners to make them understand how they can access community-based services if they need to again, how primary care services work, how to refer themselves to secondary care. And we also work with the um, prison regime itself to have more formal discharge planning around ensuring that prisoners where possible have a GP identified to continue care in the community around a range of problems and or have arrangements made with secondary care providers if that's appropriate for more um, serious complicated infections um, such as hep C or HIV, etc. So we, we are making efforts, but I'm certainly um, not under any illusion about the, the mountain we have to climb here. And there are risks that the increasingly complex environment of the NHS may make some of these challenges even uh, more difficult to navigate our ways around. So it does feel like an important area that we need to do some more thinking about and work together on, again, with public health and sexual health colleagues coming together to come up with more effective strategies for discharge planning. Thank you. That, that is absolutely brilliant. Um, and really, I, I value the, the leadership of, of public health colleagues and uh, yourselves in offender health, because I think for discharge planning for me, um, we need to engage much, much more in the future with um, probation services and youth offending teams um, to enable this, this, this important part of the, the treatment pathway to work. And those are very important partners, Alan, which I think will um, sometimes be a bit of a mystery to colleagues who don't really work with them very often. But clearly, there's a need, if we're going to have a patient-centered care program, to make sure that all the key players are working together in a sensitive way, um, appropriate to the needs of the prisoner who becomes, again, a member of the community. And I absolutely share your belief that if we demonstrate to uh, people in prison that the health service values them, that it cares about them, that it wants to improve their health, it can go a long way towards rehabilitation because it is about how society values people and how people value society. And so I've certainly, my own experience working with people in prison demonstrates to me in a very personal way that when you take care of people, um, they usually respond in a positive way and that has wider than that particular treatment episode benefits for, for themselves, their partners, their families and their communities. Yes, I absolutely share your optimism. Thank you. Charlie, good. Um, so possibly um, one thing that is worth spending a few minutes talking about um, towards the end of this little podcast is the future and certainly the near future where we are on the cusp of a very major reorganization of the National Health Service and associated activities in public health and so on. And it's worth reflecting on the fact that um, PCTs have been commissioning um, health services and prisons uh, since about 2006. Um, and that generally is agreed to have been a very successful project 
in so far as it's been an important driver in improving quality and services um, and ensuring that prisoners have uh, access to equivalent levels of care as they would have as an NHS patient in the community. But of course, we're now on the verge of um, a reorganization, uh, those dreaded words, where PCTs will disappear, being replaced um, in some way or some other functions, perhaps by um, clinical commissioning groups, which will be very much uh, informed and driven by um, local primary care providers. Um, the Director of Public Health and their public health teams will now move into the local authorities and will be involved in a range of uh, service commissioning, including sexual health services. And um, in, insofar as prisons are concerned, one of the biggest changes will be that the way in which health services are commissioned for prisons will move away from the current arrangements of PCT commissioning up to the National Health Service Commissioning Board. And that therefore brings in a sort of national commissioning model um, where services will be commissioned in that way, but of course delivered locally. Now, the detail around much of this uh, remains to be um, hacked out. Um, you only have to read a newspaper or listen to the radio to hear that uh, much of the um, provisions of the Health and Social Care Bill are um, contentious, that there is still much discussion about um, aspects of it. But I think we have good enough sight now of the, um, the organizational structures and roles and responsibilities to know where the future is going to take us. And if I could start with a, a positive uh, uh, take on the new arrangements, I can see a, a discussion we had at the beginning of this uh, podcast around variability in the way services are commissioned and provided, uh, moving in the right direction by having a national commissioner where we can stipulate at national level via the NHS commissioning board that a high-quality sexual health service uh, should have the following components. It's commissioned in this particular way, and the service providers, be they NHS or others, need to work then to that national commissioning arrangement. Um, so I'm looking forward to some of the positive aspects that this might bring. Um, and I just wondered if that was something that you'd had any thoughts about or your colleagues in, in BASH or any concerns or queries maybe. I... I think most of us in BASH um, share the uncertainty uh, about the commission arrangements. And I mean, prisons in, prison uh, health in particular, I think. Um, we, we, I think we, we are encouraged that the PHPQIs uh, are mainly uh, red or amber, are really green or amber. Um, and perhaps it will spur commissioners to continue to improve that. As as a as an aim, uh, in terms of the detail of providing the services, uh, I share your 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 concerns about the variability. You know, all the surveys suggest that you know that there is a lot of variation in services, uh, partly because of of the needs of the the prison, but also partly because of of the constraints of where the the home uh, clinic lies. And I think in order to iron out some of these differences. We do need to have a, a, a more joined-up approach nationally, which um, Bash is, is keen to do. Um, and I think having having uh, uploaded the commissioning guidance is 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 our, our sort of initial way of of trying to to do that. 
Uh, I mean, the guidance was written by uh, public health colleagues in the Southwest uh, who have uh, used exams good practice from from Southwest to help us in 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 commissioning these services. And I think for batch members, they see very much as sort of standards to to aspire to, although they're they're phrased as commissioning guidance. And we we hope that there will be some sort of iterative process from the guidance. Guidance is not the final thing. It is something that we put up there so that we've got something to focus on. And we hope there'll be some sort of process leading from that that will help to improve services further in prisons. And, and I think certainly the aspiration is that the NHS Commissioning Board will have the capability to ensure that um, uh, areas of good practice are highlighted and used as a way to inform commissioning models that there would be more uniformity in uh, the services commissioned because there would be um, a better way to agree what a good service looks like and to have that as a national template. And so there is much to be uh, hoped for in the new system that will lead to an improvement in quality. I've no doubt that there still will be a degree of variability because we, we understand that an important aspect of the NHS reforms is localism and there will be an important need to make sure that services have got a degree of variability and flexibility to meet the particular circumstances of a local environment, um, the actual setting in the prison or other place of detention, as well as the uh, providers involved. But I think we would all share um, and agree that it's important to have very specific standards um, that we can judge um, a commission service against, and certainly the work of colleagues in Southwest is an important contribution to that, but it's not the end of that journey, and I think we need to work with partners in the NHS Commissioning Board um, to understand and improve uh, health services in, in prisons for um, management of sexual health, and that will be informed by all the things we've just talked about including better data on the epidemiology of disease, improvements in um, uh, systems, uh, health information systems in prisons uh, with System 1 and various other um, improvements, and that that will help us to design a uh, commissioning tool which will hopefully make sure that the services in prisons are not just um, as good as community services, but are the best sort of service we can provide in that setting, taking regard of all the particular constraints and peculiarities we've talked about. Yes, absolutely. And and I think um, moving to the future for, for, for this in terms of measuring outcomes is um, certainly is important to, to have quality improvement measures for for how services are provided, the structure, as well as uh, the process of getting results quickly and so on. But ultimately, you know, I know in public health, you, you, you would want to have good health outcomes. And I think we do, we, clinicians do as well. And that's one area maybe where the quality improvement measures uh, need to be improved to, to actually have outcomes which are tangible, that we show that um, uh, the, the, the chains of chlamydia infections or gonorrhea are, are, are sorted and treated um, and, and, and demonstrated um, you know, through, through data and, and through, through the, the network clinics. And the second thing also is to, to show some sort of gain or change in sexual behavior by perhaps uh, using some sort of uh, prom, 
patient-related outcome measures for, for prisoners, that we can measure some sort of improvement there. I think that may be a challenge ahead. And uh, to my knowledge, has not really been done a lot to actually surveying prisoners' uh, attitudes and finding out whether there's any improvement and change uh, after we've put the intervention in. And that's a very important point. And certainly, we have been working on aspects um, of measuring um, outcomes rather than just processes in working with prisoners. And we've worked with a range of partners, and including uh, academic partners, to design studies to look at aspects of this. Some of them are going through a process of NIHR um, grant applications and so on, and others are um, smaller studies that we've extrapolated upwards. But I, I don't doubt for one moment the importance of making sure that what we're doing is actually making a difference rather than making us all feel good that we're doing something. Yes. And if we don't have a positive health outcome, then it really makes this um, a fruitless exercise. So I want to see uh, very much committed to seeing a positive improvement in the sexual health and well-being of people who pass through the prison estate, their communities, their families, their partners. And by doing this work well, we'll actually have a wider-than-prison impact. And this isn't just pie in the sky. We know we've achieved this in other areas, such as hepatitis B vaccination, where through a concerted program of work, led by policymakers, delivered by champions on the ground and supported by partners in PCTs and public health and prisons and sexual health, we've managed to increase the coverage of Hep B vaccine among vulnerable people in prisons significantly. And data from the Health Protection Agency shows us that the incidence of acute hepatitis B among injecting drug users has fallen. And in the absence of any other reasonable attributable fac um, factor, it seems that the prison hepatitis B vaccine program is having a positive benefit on the community in um, reducing the risk of infection among injecting drug users. So I'm confident that with the right programs, with the right commissioning um, tools, with the right service being provided, with the right connected working across the prison setting and the community, we can achieve a wider than prison health improvement in sexual health. But the work starts at the very um, front line with people like yourself and your team doing the sort of work you're doing and doing it well. And for that, I'm very grateful. And I'm speaking on behalf of Offender Health when I say that um, we recognize very much the hard work and fortitude of our colleagues delivering services in difficult circumstances to an often challenging population. We don't underestimate the effort involved. We don't underestimate the challenges. And we recognize the achievements and celebrate them. But we're also aware of the uh, work to be done. And so we're looking forward to working with partners to improving uh, the sexual health of people in prison together. Thank you. That, that, that's really encouraging that, you know, uh, there's more work with academic partners. And I really look forward to uh, getting more information and, and knowledge and guidance from that. Excellent. Well, Thanks, Alan, for that uh, very helpful conversation. I've learned a lot from it. I'm uh, hopeful that others listening may have learned a lot too. And I think it's very important to celebrate good work well done in a challenging environment. And so for your paper and your work, I thank you. Thank you, Eamon.